Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Seller Speak. Seller Speak is a monthly podcast where we speak to real life sellers who have now moved on in their journey and learned from their real life stories. This is perhaps the best podcast when it comes to learning from your own mistakes or actually learning from others' mistakes so you don't make those mistakes by yourself. Today we are talking about fulfillment centers and we have Blair Forrest from AMZ Prep who has his own uh, who had his own Amazon FBA business and has moved on to AMZ Prep so we are going to be talking to him and looking into what goes on in fulfillment in his centers and is AMZ Prep truly the best out there so let's take a look into that Hey Blair thank you so much for being here with us today Hello hello thank you so much for having me on I'm super excited to chat the fun world of fulfillment and logistics. Uh, some people argue really how fun, fun it is, but I, I love it. No, no, I, I'm sure because I was going through your websites. A lot of customers already know you um, from Seller Apps. So, you know, I'm really pumped up to having you here and talking about the wondrous world of fulfillment centers. Uh, so it is going to be really fun. So as you are or you were an Amazon FBA seller. So let's, let's start with that. Let's talk about your Amazon FBA journey. What did you do on Amazon and what made you move to AMZ Prep? Absolutely. And and your guys uh, sellers, especially anyone at Seller Up are, are the absolute best. So a lot of the ones that we're working with uh, are phenomenal and they have raving uh, comments. So I'm super glad there's a ton of ton of synergies here. Uh, oh, so stop it, you. When, when it comes to the journey, it's uh, mm-hmm. it's pretty unique. So I, I always had a knack for selling products online. Uh, so when I was back in high school, even before that, I was doing the whole like garage sale flips before, mm-hmm. way before it was like a cool thing to go to garage sales yeah. and the whole reselling model. So when I was 12, 13 years old, I'd go to garage sales uh, and then I was just buying and then flipping it. Uh, and at the time, so here in Canada, we had a couple different like, uh, reseller marketplaces called like yeah. uh, Kijiji, Craigslist. I don't know what's in the US and internationally, but um, Facebook marketplace was sort of a thing at the time, but there wasn't, it wasn't like how it is now where it's a lot more formal. And uh, so I, I used to do that all the time where I just go and I would flip it and then eBay came around. So then my garage selling got a little bit more digital. So then I would go into eBay uh, and this was probably eight, nine years ago now. Uh, so I'd find products for a few dollars and then, and then flip them. Uh, pure like entrepreneurial heart at least so when I went into university that's when I ended up learning about Amazon in my first year and I already was doing a similar model so this was probably 2014 2015 uh, I was doing a similar model with eBay where I would source internationally uh, and I had a, a couple different brands but I had, my biggest was a private label baby company um, so we had a bunch of baby products mm-hmm. of course the the young gentleman having a baby company was probably the most left park thing that you could imagine, but that's a whole other part of the conversation. And uh, so I had that. So I learned about Amazon FBA and it was already a thing on eBay, but it wasn't called anything like how it was with Amazon FBA and private label. It was just, I would just flip products from China, Mm -hmm. from Alibaba and then resell it. So Amazon FBA was almost a complete unlock. Uh, So I was only selling on amazon.com. Uh, for context, so I'm here in Toronto, Canada, uh, Great White North. So I was flipping the product. So I would send it from China. I would use a, like a third-party fulfillment center in the U.S. at the time. Uh, so I'd send all my products there to a prep center. They would do the preparation and then ship it off. 
I then expanded to Canada, but mm -hmm. there was no uh, there was no warehouses to send my products to. So you could either uh, there wasn't at the time there wasn't like Amazon prep centers or Amazon right. fulfillment. Yeah. It wasn't a thing at the time. Um, so there was what you call a three PL, which is like usually mm -hmm. a really large fulfillment warehouse, but they didn't want to deal with my twenty baby caddies a day that we were selling. They they wanted nothing to do with it. So what we ended up doing right was that so I would send it to my university dorm and I would do the preparation in my university dorm. Oh wow. And, and envision like a first year business student <laughs> with a bunch of baby products and all of his friends like it the it, it, it was the it was the joke of the entire university dorm but uh, very quickly the the university didn't take a favor to it they didn't they didn't love the idea of I us I was about to ask about that yeah i mean yeah so it didn't make a lot of sense no yeah. they uh they didn't like it obviously and it made a lot of sense we were just shipping like pallets to the university dorm so mm -hmm. instead, I got a really small warehouse in uh, Kitchener. Uh, it's mm -hmm. a, everyone's probably international here, but uh, it was just a city just outside Toronto, around an hour away. And I don't want to say warehouse. I think I think that almost does it not enough justice. It it was a hole in the wall, Rhea, to be honest, right? Uh, it was probably like the size of a, a very small bedroom. Oh no! But it worked. But it did it the job. Yeah. 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 Exactly. So I, I used that for a bit and it was only to prepare my own products. So I'd send all my baby products there. It was a little storage facility. And uh, I was pretty active in like the Facebook groups because those were kind of just blowing up at the time. Okay. And I had friends that were shipping their products to their garage uh, and their wife was getting mad at them or uh, they were trying to send it directly to Amazon and we're having a bunch of nightmares. So yeah, I had all these reach outs going like, hey, like, can you just prepare our products? And I was like, okay. I was like, maybe, maybe, maybe there's something here. And one thing led to another. We started to take on some businesses, uh, and one warehouse grew to a second warehouse. So we moved from this small 300 square foot warehouse size of a bedroom to a uh, thousand square feet. So that's maybe like a small classroom, basically. Mm -hmm. At the time, that that felt like a, a million square feet. <laughs> It looked like a thousand football fields with how I thought it felt. Um, or, yeah. But it was small. So we, we could only do so many shipments and it was still just me, myself and I preparing all these shipments. And very quickly that outgrew the private label company for some of the mm -hmm. stuff I was doing on Amazon, but I uh, still actively was running it uh, and doing some of the resale stuff. But we ended up growing. So over the, we, we really started to build on it in around 2018. This is when everything started to really blow up. And we moved four different warehouses over the past now three years. So we went from 300 square feet to 1,000 square feet to 30,000 square feet, which was a huge jump. And then we just got another warehouse and now we're sitting around 400,000 square feet uh, of oh, warehouses. Wow. So it's hard to envision it, um, but for any seller, it's if you want to put maybe a rule of thumb, thirty thousand pallet positions, just so people have context. So the one warehouse right behind us is probably like five or six football fields in terms of size. 
Um, so it's it's huge. We just yeah. moved into it. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, with the growth of everything with COVID and like it was just timing was I, I think just a really big favor for us. But um, mm -hmm. this is kind of been the journey. So it went from the kind of this what was a garage sale reseller to us now managing for thousands of brands in terms of their fulfillment, their logistics, the preparation, the whole journey on uh, on Amazon. So it, it's been a super cool ride so far. We're just getting started. Yeah. That sounds amazing. I mean, it's so refreshing to hear like stories from Amazon sellers. Surprisingly, although they're so different the way they pan out, they usually start with like flipping garage sales, digging yeah, into dumpsters yeah. for books. Um, this is amazing. I mean, I'm always astonished and I would like to congratulate you and your team for building AMZ Prep. So are you guys working remotely right now or is everything open in Canada at the moment? So what was tricky about AMZ Prep was that, so we were listed as an essential company when everything with COVID. Um, so we actually had obligation to keep our warehouses open. But what happened, and this was now, it feels like 10 years ago, but two years ago with when the kind of the pandemic hit, was that yeah. we had to restructure our warehouse because we were doing fulfillment for uh, grocery companies, uh, PPE, so we had to basically build these like new stations because we we're fulfilling to hospitals, to grocery stores. So we we're in the middle of this, like basically destroyed supply chain. Everyone needs the foods, everyone needs essential goods. And as you remember, this is when like the shelves were completely out and Amazon had that like three month back order and they shut down the inventory inside their warehouses. So it was a really crazy time, um, but yeah. yeah. So, so that's kind of where the peak of it. So most of our teams here, we still have a lot of team that work remote from like international perspectives and our other verticals, but um, I'm in the office now. So the, the warehouse is right behind the wall. Don't be fooled. It, it looks pretty <laughs> like right behind uh, the, the team's working on preparing a bunch of shipments. So how did you go from inbound and prep to speaking to like actual Amazon FBA sellers and clients? Like, could you map out that journey for us? It's a great question. And I, I think, and this I feel happens with a lot of entrepreneurs is that you almost you put your head down so often and you kind of just working that you almost don't look back to see what the actual formula of success was um, and i don't want to define us as successful because we, we still have a very long way to go but um this ability to almost rework and say okay well this was exactly was the reason why all these new businesses came to us i i think what really helped was that at the time we were kind of hyperactive in all these communities so like the yeah. facebook groups was just a place where um, we were just actively trying to help a lot of sellers and a lot of brands. And I think timing was everything. So our ability to make sure that at the time there really wasn't any solutions. And if they were, they were kind of very, uh, very broken in terms of the entire like fulfillment space. There, there wasn't anyone really trying to disrupt it. So yeah. I, I think those two things really fell into our arms. And then of course, um, a lot of like our, our marketing and SEO initiatives just came down to um, a lot of people searching us up on Google a lot of people referring us. And then of course the word of mouth, I think was probably the biggest echo effect. Um, we, we had kind of a, a thing internally of if we build our kind of core 100 customers, like right. in 100 customers that will live, breathe and die by AMZ prep, that echo effect or ripple effect will allow us to expand at a much faster pace. So if you focus on that 100, and this goes for sellers, this goes for anyone growing a company. Right. Like if you yeah. hyper-focus and get 100, even if you can get 10, that will probably echo to 100, but we yeah. wanted our 100 to echo to 10,000. 
And yeah. when you have these kind of like diehard loyalists, they're the yeah. ones that someone asks for something in a Facebook group, they're saying, hey, these are the ones. If there's random conversation, like they're actively, um, and these are the kind of the difference of like the the loyalists. And of course, seller speak and with uh, seller app, there's very similar ones too. Uh, but I think that allowed us to now not just be a part of like the Amazon space, but uh, we work with almost every major aggregator uh, and a lot of like the 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 top 100.com sellers. We do some of their US, but a lot of their Canadian fulfillment because there's not too many solutions. And uh, so we've we went from helping all these small arbitrage businesses and private label sellers that are just getting started, which we'd love to, to working with um, the biggest brands and companies on earth. So it's super cool to see it because now this kind of ripple effect has caused us this uh, almost like un planned strategy of growth, which is a yeah. natural effect, which is super interesting. No, I can imagine customer loyalty is very important to a business. And I think with customer loyalty comes consistent growth in a business as well, which you mentioned as well, like a ripple effect. So that right. was very helpful. So um, as I mentioned before, most of our customers, we do refer them to AMZ Prep. And I like how you that? take the yeah, and I love how you take care of the entire fulfillment, fulfillment uh, process. So what kind of customers for people who do not know you, what kind of customer base do you work with? Are they medium sellers? What if I'm just starting out on Amazon? Um, are you for me or like, you know, what kind of what's your customer base look like? Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's a mix of both. Um, we, we actually over the past year and a half, we've started to transition it because uh, because of like our warehousing space and capacities, we of course, um, the ability to grow with these larger sellers. What happened was that we worked with a lot of small businesses, which we want to support, especially like with COVID and like everything just naturally lined up and it's just in our ethos and culture. But these small private label sellers now become monsters or they end up getting bought out by a big aggregator and now the aggregator fulfills with us. So it's, it's a little bit all over the place. What we've actually started to do was that a lot of the really small businesses that we're looking for a whole outsource solution, we end up really encouraging them to do it themselves. And it's kind of a, it's probably not a popular opinion, but the reason that we do that, especially for, let's say a seller that does less than two, 300 units a month, or that mm -hmm. brand new seller just getting started, when they just outsource their fulfillment entirely or the logistics, which of course in the Amazon FBA space is kind of the popular approach to do, is that it allows you to really understand the product and understand the process. And this doesn't mean that you need to become a fulfillment center, but this does mean that send your first shipment to your house, see how the product looks, figure out the labeling process, figure out how to get a box from China to your garage if you need to for a day or two, how to yeah. label a package and how the process works. And what we've seen this do is that when they end up approaching whether it's a fulfillment partner logistics even like a, an agency they have so much more aptitude so they can they can one they can understand and communicate to a vendor very much easily um, and we've seen this be a huge gap because then we'll have a brand new seller and they say well there's a thousand units uh it probably only takes two seconds to label because if i go like this i can i go well yeah no it's and they don't because they've never had to do it they don't there's like a huge gap in terms of that knowledge piece uh, uh, and a lot of sellers usually deprioritize their fulfillment because they want to focus on the listings the advertising and 
I know we're going to get into that afterwards of like the, <laughs> the cause and effect of that, but usually the fulfillment logistic shipping is like the last thing that they want to worry about. So we've been encouraging sellers that if they're doing less than 300 units a month, even with us, and we work with a lot of the bigger companies, but we help a lot of the smaller businesses too, is that do it yourself before you go to anyone. It's just going to allow you to uh, very effortlessly sleep at night, knowing that, you know, as much as the fulfillment center knows, right? Or at least to be able to communicate on a one-to-one -one basis, if that makes sense. It completely makes sense. I think that's a very sound advice too. Like that's a very smart model. And um, I mean, there, there. I don't really have any more questions regarding that because it's a foolproof. So I think that's a really good way to go about it. So for those who don't know like what fulfillment centers are, how are you different from Amazon yeah. FBA fulfillment centers and why should people opt for you? Because when you choose Amazon FBA fulfillment center, you do have higher chances of uh, winning the buy box. Uh, you don't have to worry about returns and a mm -hmm. lot of other things that come with, you know, um, when you're doing it on your own. So how do you, you know, for differentiate sure, yourself sure. from a fulfillment center and why should people choose you over Amazon FBA fulfillment or should they do both actually? Yeah. And I, I think that's where people get it wrong, where I, what ends up happening is that traditionally for a lot of sellers, we're a supplement to Amazon FBA. So right. there's a lot of brands that to us because we take a pretty consultative approach. So a lot of brands come to us and we actually tell them, hey, no, it's probably better to just ship directly to Amazon because traditionally we have kind of two pieces of the business and, and everyone listening, I'll, I'll kind of give a run through of 3PL prep centers, all that jazz, but there's the FBA preparation side. So what a lot of sellers do, especially new sellers or, or growing sellers, they'll use us just to make sure that they're preparing the products for Amazon. So we'll do the SKU labeling, the poly bagging, the compliance okay. checks because they ordered from China a blue baby product yeah. and it was green when it came here. And if they don't catch that, then it's going to be inside of Amazon and you're going to be in a lot of trouble. So yep. this is the one part. Um, the, the second one that a lot of sellers use us for is that obviously with all the inventory restrictions, mm -hmm. they end up using our warehouses, our holding hubs. So because they can only send, let's say, 100 units to Amazon, right? Yeah. That extra product needs to stay somewhere. And we'll encourage them to go FBA because when, when we t look at a business, we also look at their advertising, their competition, how they're ranking. It just allows us to be in a lot more contextual place to give them advice on whether or not FBA makes sense, whether it's FBM. So these are the two reasons traditionally. So if, if they need the extra storage, it makes a lot more sense for them to ship a full pallet from China or a container ship it to our warehouse and then we'll just slowly start injecting the products to Amazon. So right. that's situation two. And then situation three would be if the brand's actually doing some sort of like uh, direct fulfillment. So this would be a merchant fulfillment. So instead of fulfilling the orders from FBA, let's fulfill it BM or maybe it's through their own e-commerce channel. If it's through Walmart fulfillment, um, any of these other marketplaces or your own store that you want to be selling. And I, I think this is where it's key is that where we're really encouraging sellers and everyone listening, what I personally recommend, because we've, we've seen it happen and it will happen, is that with everything happening with inventory restrictions, we're doing with all of our sellers is we're setting up FBM inside of our warehouse just to have it available. 
So right. we're still okay. prioritizing FBA. Mm -hmm. So if FBA is available, we're going to send it to FBA 150% because conversion from a buy box, nine times out of 10 FBA makes sense unless there's, there's other filters, which we can go into, but we want that ability to be able to turn on FBM because maybe there's an inventory blackout, maybe a, a listing gets suppressed. Maybe, uh, it's something about the limits. It, whether Amazon has to check it in late because it's Q4 and they're just slow. Yeah. Like there's a lot of different things and factors that are outside of your control. And what you don't want to do is wait until October. Now it's Q4. It's busy. If you ask and you run out of stock on a product and now, um, whether it's seller app or whether you have an agency, whatever's running your campaigns, you're going to be in a lot of trouble because that warehouse can't just set up merchant fulfillment. So unless you're going to do it from your own garage and just do the orders yourself, which is trouble, um, you're going to be in a really tricky spot. So the, the answer is it really depends. Um, but yeah. traditionally we, we like to utilize this approach and, uh, what a lot of brands utilize us the most for is that because we have warehouses basically everywhere at this point, uh, especially like the Canadian side and.com, it just allows us to be multinational and also just be close to the fulfillment centers as possible. But at the end of the day, what I, what I think, um, not to go too far into the tangent, what I, I think the one other thing that is super valuable for the sellers to hear is just making sure they clarify between a three PL and a prep center. So you'll hear kind of these words thrown around in the Amazon space or the Facebook groups or wherever you're listening to your education. And there's a lot of companies that are prep centers. So an Amazon prep center, and they can be the same thing, but usually they're not an Amazon prep center. This is usually like a mom and pop warehouse for the most part. So mm -hmm. they're uh, usually smaller. Maybe they have a really small location in uh, South Connecticut, and that's just their forte. They usually mm -hmm. don't have complex software. They're usually using Google sheets. Maybe they just use email. Uh, it's scrappy, but the benefit is that you have hyper communication because usually you can talk to the owner or the founder. Um, so hyper communication, so you can trust them because it's like a, it's a local location. Yeah. Um, it's hyper quick. So they're going to be able to do orders. If you just have like in and out shipments, they can do it really quickly. Um, some of the cons is that, uh, it's not scalable. So if you have, if you grow, there might be a chance that they can't grow with you. If you want to do like e-com fulfillment, so Shopify, Amazon FBA, they usually can't do those. They only do in and out projects. So a hundred baby caddies in, and then they'll send it all to Amazon FBA. And that's an Amazon prep center. So there's pros and cons. Um, and they're usually really close to location. So we know like, uh, beforehand, a lot of the aggregators did work with like, they'd almost have like a Starbucks approach to warehousing. So they have a prep center <laughs> in every state. So you have to be super close to every Amazon FBA center. Uh, which is a nightmare, but then you look at three PLs, three PLs are usually larger. Yeah. They usually have really complex software. So they have inventory management. They have an entire team. Uh, it's usually a bit more structured in terms of like customer support. There's more compliances, uh, traditionally can be a little bit more expensive because there's actual like inbounding costs, storage, all these other fees. Uh, but the benefits is obviously like, uh, inventory availability, software, e-commerce, uh, capacity to grow. So it's it's super case by case where amz prep is is we've almost like redefined this term and what we're pushing it's called like a 3pl which is like an yeah. amazon focus 3pl because 3pls usually don't know enough about amazon but they have the capacity to scale an amazon mm -hmm. prep center knows 
everything about Amazon, but they don't have the growth uh, ability. So okay. we try to put ourselves in the middle where all of our team on the warehouse floor know Seller Central. Um, so they log into Seller Central, they process orders there, but there's enough capacity that if if a, an aggregator comes in and wants to send uh, 10,000 pallets, like, we're able to do so. Uh, but I, I think that differentiation is super valuable because if you're a new seller, maybe Prep Center makes a lot more sense and that's what you can Google on Amazon to search versus if you're looking for a global fulfillment hub for your e-commerce and maybe you sell to Walmart and Shopify and Amazon, then you probably need a 3PL. Um, and these are two very different things and there'll be very different communications and you just have to, you have to look at your business and say, which one really makes sense uh, today, tomorrow, and then two to three years from now? Because it, it will change. No, I think AMZ Prep definitely is in a very sweet spot. Um, and if I were an Amazon seller, I would definitely choose you over 3PL um, or, you know, like mom and pop shops, mainly because, you know, that's how many shipments I have right now. And it just makes sense for me to have both done in the same place. So yeah. um, plus, if I want to expand my business or add more ASINs to my listing, I know that you have the capacity to do so. So, you know, just makes more sense. The, the, the good thing yeah. is like there it it so many factors. So yeah. we get so many amazing companies and sellers that we speak to on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. A lot of them we don't take on. We, we recommend them to uh, a small prep center in California, right? Or a like a global fulfillment hub that has international waters like Europe and we're working on all those things, but maybe we just don't have the right fit for them. So there's a lot of scenarios where AMZ prep might be the great fit, but we also look at this and say, hey, like it might not make sense for you. Or maybe the costing of your product because you're a new seller and your advertising is going to be too expensive. And because we look at the entire overview, we're just going to say, hey, like, work with this small prep center or we'll introduce you to a couple partners. We'll give you guidance on which one makes sense. And then in six months, maybe maybe now it makes sense to jump into the waters with us because we want it to be cost effective. And for some sellers, it just it might not make sense. But uh, right. every brand is different depending on where they are in their journey. And, and I think it's just making sure that as a seller, do your diligence, speak to different companies, get their feedback. And depending on where you are and how comfortable you are and how knowledgeable you are, you might need different solutions. Maybe you maybe you like your friend in uh, Colorado who can do a hundred shipments a day really quickly, which is amazing. There's trust, there's value, the pricing makes sense. So just, just look at different options, speak to different people so that you can get a really good pulse. Um, you, you just don't want to pick the wrong partner because it can yeah. be detrimental for your business. Uh, it can yeah. it can create the stockouts, the advertising issues. Like it can be the biggest detriment to your entire company, and people look at it as an afterthought, which is a very scary thing. No, no, I have literally seen that happen, especially in Q4, uh, where some of our sellers we do like a seller app. We do let them know that hey, um, we're expecting like this is the forecast. We're expecting these many orders. Make sure these many shipments are ready yeah. to go at any given point of time. But some do go out of stock, uh, mainly because right. of the COVID issues that happened. And then, of course, once you go out of stock, you lose your ranking in just a couple of days. Uh, you lose the buy box and there's so much more aftermath that comes with it. So when we're talking about inventory, you already covered um, a little bit of that. But if you want to jump in depth, how does one you know, take care of their inventory so they do not go out of stock? And even if they do go out of stock, how do how do we manage that from like there? So I was I was on a session a couple of days ago and we actually do with our team. So we do a bunch of training to Amazon 
Um, so we are doing a presentation with Amazon's domestic team yesterday and Amazon ads team about uh, like IPI limits, uh, yeah. inventory inbound strategy, how to improve your base turnover, a lot of real technical stuff that it's not the sexiest conversation. So we definitely don't need to go that deep. Um, but what what we notice with a lot of the the best sellers, uh, the sellers that make it from a million dollars to that next benchmark, which is let's say $10 million, it usually comes down to operations. And this usually means in the gap that when we speak to sellers is that no one's actually looking over their inventory. So they don't have an operations manager or someone doing inventory uh, availability. They they work with a 3PL or a prep center and they trust them to kind of handle the entire thing. But what we've seen with some of the most successful sellers, the ones that get this kind of accelerated growth, is that to get from 1,000 to 10,000, it's usually not about just tweaking your ad campaigns. There's usually a bigger piece of meat there. It's this 80-20 rule. And this usually comes down to, can we launch new SKUs? We can maximize profit on current products, but it, it it's going to be, it's not going to do a, uh, a 10x jump. So it's usually launching new products, making sure stock's available, and then optimizing the supply chain so that we can get more products to Amazon so that product can sell out. So we recommend a lot of things. I, I think one is that someone needs to be dedicated on your team to look at inventory. If you're a yeah. brand new seller, you won't be able to, so you don't get this privilege, but you'll have to learn it yourself. And I'd, I'd encourage you that there's not too much training. We try to do as much, we build a lot of education around it, but it's not a fun topic. It's it's almost like really the, the way that we explain it, it's like it's like eating your vegetables. Right? <laughs> no one- That's the no way really to put it. it. Yeah. Um, it's, it's just kind of a, it's an afterthought for all these sellers. So mm -hmm. um, that's the one thing we recommend of a lot of sellers that we've seen work. Um, two is that it just needs to be on some sort of routine basis. So if you use seller app or maybe you just do it directly through Amazon's that dashboard, is that like uh, consider all the aftermath. So something super cool, but let's say seller app, like we can account for forecasting outside of just how many days are left in stock, right? There's other things you need to account for. How long will the prep center take to prepare it or the 3PL? Are they gonna take one day? Are they gonna take five days? Are they busy? So it's gonna take 10 days. And if you don't account for that, when you're trying to send product to Amazon, you're in this really awkward spot where you're out of stock for three or five days. Um, and on paper, you were going to make it. But then let's say Amazon had to check in the products or do an inventory transfer, right? Like there's all these things that are so far out of your control, you can't do anything about. What you can control is how quickly you can send it to Amazon for the most part. So it's just making sure that don't just look at one number and say, okay, I'm, I'm selling 30 units. Uh, this means one unit a day. So by the five days left, I'm gonna send more product because mm -hmm. it might be too late. So we recommend just taking a more holistic approach. Um, I, I think the other thing to make benefit of, and I think this is for businesses that are getting to that next level that maybe they use a marketing agency, uh, maybe they have someone in-house, is that we usually see there's a marketing agency on the left or an Amazon agency and then they have their fulfillment partner on the right. They usually don't always have one partner, for example, but with this, the advertising agency wants to run all these new campaigns. They wanna launch new products. Maybe there's a Prime Day program or a Mother's Day special, and that information does not talk to their warehousing partner. So what happens is that they'll launch a new oh, no. campaign. They'll, yeah, yeah. They'll, they'll see everything happening on Seller App, but then the warehouse has no idea. So then 
there, a there's a huge disconnect where like they'll launch a new came, there's new growth strategies, but then the warehouse isn't prepared to do all these shipments or so they're never talking to each other, which is what we see. They We've seen this like happen to- quite often. So yeah, I right? definitely are gone for that. Yeah. It's uh they almost like silo out to two different verticals when really they they talk to each other in full harmony and like it they work with each other like it, and it's it's as simple as if you don't have product inside of Amazon you your ad will turn off like it's it's not rocket science we got to think about here it's if it's not available your ads will turn off it's going to be more expensive when you turn them back on and your ranking will plummet and i i don't think people don't know how bad it is until it happens to them um, yeah. and i don't want that to happen to anyone but they almost need to see just how hard it is to get back to where they were because mm-hmm. you you're almost just taking like 10 steps backward in your business and as a seller you have so many other things to deal with the last thing you need to worry about is an old product that was ranking well selling like you have one job keep it in stock that's the only thing you got to do and it will continue to grow the fruits of its labor and they fail to execute on that and because of that they can't focus on new products they're spending more on advertising their rankings down like it's just this this triple effect um and it's probably one of the most underrated conversations happening in the Amazon space right now true well preach Blair preach uh I yeah. would say that I'm telling, uh, this you. Is, I'm telling you yeah that's because that's why seller speak started right you learn from other people's mistake and try not to do it for yourself and i mean we've seen sellers who joined with us like 5 years back and they made yeah. the mistake and now they're like well q4 is coming i got my yeah. inventory ready like that's the first thing that they do before q4 <laughs> and prime day is coming now i mean make sure your inventory is always in place so thank you so much for answering that question blair uh, moving on your packaging is one of the best in the market how do you go about packaging so if i am a customer with you and i would like to provide like custom packaging for my product because this is the first thing that a customer sees right when they open your product and it makes a lot of importance for your branding as well so do you provide custom packaging or if not how do you go about packaging or prepping people's products great question so there there's two ways to think about it and this is usually where we get into the conversation of is fbm viable so we work with some sellers that fbm doesn't always make sense if we look at their advertising or just their performance but um they want to control the entire customer experience so that ability to so we use a couple of different ones so internally for example if we're doing FBM we have the ability to do a little custom packaging so custom shipping boxes we get custom shipping tape it's just if if they have a very specific brand awareness and they don't want an Amazon a box arriving at the doorstep of their customer some branches have maybe it's a very premium feel or maybe it's very boutique and they want this experience but what we see especially for Amazon FBA we've seen a huge push towards like eco-friendly too so some oh, of like yeah. our poly bags we have to do like eco-friendly um sustainable items even like the air pillows that we use if it's actually with the item or like craft paper versus poly bags or bubble wrap for example but we get a lot of brands so we use a couple of different companies uh one of them's called Arka A R K A and they do like custom branded boxes. Um we get a bunch of stuff from them. So we get like Amesy prep ones too. Uh so they'll do like gift baskets or for like influencer marketing, but they have really cool ones so like depending on if the brand or private label seller actually wants to create a full customized experience in terms of like the package, the overall experience, then we'll get some like Arka or any of these other like custom packaging to do like the box and then we'll 
do the tissue sheath. We'll put the product inside. We'll put the Amazon label. Um, That's I think it's a place that, That's That's yeah, really a lot of sellers. Yeah, we don't see it too often, to be honest. Like, I think it's a place mm -hmm. that a lot of sellers aren't focusing on, uh, which I think is a really cool opportunity. Is that uh, this whole like package experience? Like at first glance, and if you're a reseller, then it may not be a priority. But for a private label brand that wants to build this overall brand awareness and ideally maybe even take them off Amazon to your Shopify store or trying to get in the retail shops. The second that they open it, it's like meeting someone for the first time. Like that right. first 15 seconds is so critical. And if they and it, it's OK, like if they open a box and just see an iPhone with a label or or uh, or just a sticker with a little bit of bubble wrap. It's not bad. Um, is it going to do what you want it to, which is this like you want your customers to feel a specific thing. That's why you do your photos like this. That's why you do the colors on your product. Like That's why you spend hundreds of hours like manufacturing and building this beautiful dream of what your private label brand will look like. But then the customer opens it and it's not because the product's not great. It's just the sub satisfaction of another Amazon box arriving. So how do you differentiate yourself? One of the things I've seen a lot of sellers do is when they're launching a new private label product, they'll order from the top 10 sellers. They'll order one of their products and they'll see what that branding experience looks like when it arrives. That's so, smart. For example, we have, if it was for um, baby pacifiers, for example, I talk about the baby stuff because <laughs> yeah. uh, I would find the top 10 competitors, the ones that have raving reviews. I'd go through, I'd order every single one. I want to see if they're doing anything because it, it's a place that People usually don't look at that as a competitive advantage. They look at your listings or SEO, or they look at very one dimensional layers to see whether or not, oh, can I, can I do anything better? But right. take a look at the experience. If you can triple down and cause this beautiful experience where they to open this box and they picture a beautiful blue box with tissue paper, a handwritten thank you note. These are all things that can really go the next level and cause this almost like ripple effect, which is exactly what you're going for. So. It's something I highly recommend. Um, and I've even seen handwritten thank you cards. We've even written some before for a couple of sellers. We're like our team mm -hmm. will, will do it or like they'll oh, write it and then we'll print, we'll print out like a little slip and then we'll put it inside the box. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't do the same when it's printed, but there's tons of these companies that are still doing handwritten cards for hundreds of orders a day. So like um, we can be lazy about it. That's fine. It still will allow you to grow, but these smaller things can make all the difference for someone who's growing an Amazon brand versus a, a global brand. It's a much I, different strategy. Yeah. Plus, when we have already speaking about customer loyalty, I think this part plays a very important role in building customer loyalty as well. Um, and this is, I have seen like an increase of, um, you know, Etsy orders recently. Mm -hmm. So mainly people, I think, I mean, this is just my assumption. Let us know what you think in the comment box below if you agree with me or not. But a lot of people are starting to place orders not from Amazon, but to direct shop orders or like small business owners because they like the experience of it. They like the personalization of it. Every time you place an order, you get a thank you note from the seller. When the order arrives, you get like small goodies along with the orders and it's beautifully packaged. And I think it's the personalization that is missing on Amazon. And this is where... Um, you know, your packaging plays a very important role or your customer experience plays a very important role. So I, I think 
we're moving into the right direction when it goes to customer packaging and like packaging and customer experience. So what do you think about that, Blair? Do you, have you seen more increase in Etsy order? Do you fulfill Etsy orders as well? Yeah. Yeah. We have a couple of sellers doing it. Um, I yeah. think what the, the people, what they're loving about the Etsy one, obviously there's probably like a local feel to it. Yeah. And some of that you, you might be able to portray through your Amazon images or your EBC or your video to try to almost get that localization feeling. But a lot of the reason we've seen businesses buy from Etsy is that they also have like a story behind the founder or whoever's running it. So there's, okay. there's more of this like emotional attachment. Um, mm-hmm. So we're seeing the exact same thing, but I, I think what would be super cool to actually look at, and I don't have the data is if we did do handwritten notes or we did a really customized box, I'm super curious on like what the LTV, like the lifetime value of that customer, like I, and I would love, I'd love to run an experiment. Yeah. I love with this stuff, but if we ran it for, let's say 60 days with all new custom boxes, I I'm really curious. Cause of course, me and you probably have our assumptions that lifetime value is, is going to increase substantially because they're a loyalist. Um, but I'd be super curious to actually get like a, a number behind that because it's brand at the end of the day. It's what, if you're selling your business, which is always the goal, like this is what the aggregators want to see. And we work exactly. with a little, yeah. so we get a good pulse of it, or it's just, to be able to build that loyal base. Um, how do you stand out from being an Amazon product, private label seller versus a brand? And if your approach is just to be a private label seller, then maybe it doesn't make sense to go the extra layer because it's gonna cost more, right? So if you have a goal of just launching new products, then it might not be an issue. But if you're looking to actually grow a brand, grow a presence, go to TikTok and all the different social channels, then it's a, it's a much different approach. So it, it all depends on the seller. It doesn't mean that uh, we're telling you, you guys got to do a custom box tomorrow, but oh, no. if that's the approach your brand's doing, then you nail it down. The the millions are in the pennies, especially if you can get a bit more creative. That was that was a really nice statement. I'm gonna use it on my posts. Uh, so yeah. So moving on to the last question, I do not like this part because you know the session is ending. But the last question is um, the process of labeling. It is very important to have um, like, you know, your labeling done right. So everything goes smoothly in the Amazon side and you don't want any error messaging messages show up on in the Amazon warehousing. So do you provide labels or do you purchase labels separately and then place them on the products? I just want to understand how the labeling process works. Yeah. So so there's two scenarios. So if it's a brand new seller, um, what we've seen work, if they're going to do it themselves and get scrappy, is that uh, you can get a zebra printer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's say you want to set up your own shop because I, I love giving this kind of the tidbits out to the, the new sellers who might not want to have a fulfillment center. Maybe they do arbitrage. Is that uh, if you can get just like an ink printer, if you can get a zebra printer, so ink printer, probably $50, zebra printer, you can maybe get it for free from UPS. There's a couple ways that we've seen, but if not, let's just say $100 and then you can go to Uline.com. So in North America, Uline is massive. And uh, so you can order like specific Amazon labels, the boxes. Uh, it's not the most effective, but for a new seller that's looking to do it themselves, uh, this is where like we started way back when of doing this kind of scrappy model because we were I was labeling it my own dorm. So th- there's a lot of ways that if a seller wants to do it themselves, uh, we do notice really often though, Ria, is that so we're for example we have a seller uh, they're sending a shipment I think in the next week. It's a uh, 30,000 units that were mislabeled from China. Oh, yikes. 
That's so they expensive. said all of it. Thanks, by the way. It's possibly for the brand. Now they're out of stock on, uh, so it's 30,000 items across 10,000 SKUs, which is crazy. So they just send it. I, I don't know if they used a fulfillment partner or they just shipped it directly from China and had all the trust in the world with this China partner. Uh, but they sent it all to Amazon. It got checked in. It took four months with the freight and the checking the whole nines and customers started purchasing orders. They started getting negative feedback and said, Hey, I purchased the white version. Why am I getting the blue? Oh no. And they said, oh. Uh -oh. So one of the things that a lot of sellers don't know is that let's just say we are selling these two products on Amazon. It's video, right? Ria? So some people are going to see it on video in case yeah, we we are now available on Audible and Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well. So cool. go ahead. So anyone not here, there's I have a phone in my hand and a water bottle. Uh, but what happens is that if a seller or a warehouse or the China partner, it print off Amazon labels, which are called FNSKU labels. It's just Amazon's correspondent of this is Blair's water bottle, this is Blair's iPhone. If I label the i have a i printed off a label for blair's water bottle if i put it on this iphone amazon does not care so amazon will check it in they will store it in a location thinking it's a water bottle they will once someone orders this beautiful water bottle off amazon amazon will grab the iphone they'll pack it and they'll ship it to the customer i don't think the they, customer's gonna have any complaints to that <laughs> now when it's the other way around they might get a little bit more upset when they order the iphone and they get this little water bottle uh, and it's exactly what we see happen. And like, uh, they may think like, oh, Amazon will catch it. They'll, they'll let me know. They won't let you know. I, I promise you. So <laughs> we, we see it with a bunch of different sellers and it, it usually just comes down to, there just wasn't like a quality check because mm -hmm. again, no one was really thinking about their inventory or having their three PL and they put all the trust there, which is great, but there needs to be these, these quality checks in place. So, uh, FNSKU labeling is is incredibly uh, like underrated in terms of what you have to do. So some people use Amazon to try to barcode the products too, which is usually a suicide mission. Um, but we also see a lot of sellers that get it done in China. So when they mm -hmm. ship it to us, we don't need to even open it. We just forward the box to Amazon. So some sellers use us for like uh, pick and pack. So we do labeling yeah. for individual units. And then other ones, they say our China partner did it. I, we tell them to get photos so they're so that we know like it's the box is the right box because we won't know and then instead we'll just ship the boxes to amazon and we'll just put a a carton label on the physical box so that makes sense yeah work um but I, do your diligence um there's a lot of forums on like amazon preparation on amazon but it's really confusing and it's really really intimidating for first sellers uh, or newer sellers who have never labeled because there's specific things of it's a poly bag. It needs to have a suffocation label. The poly bag needs to be a certain thickness. If you do use like a, a poly bag bubble mailer, uh, the bubble wrap needs to survive a drop test of four mm -hmm. feet. So there's all these like weird random things that if you just end up getting flight, Amazon can ding your account with a chargeback or they can actually suspend it. So again, we, we see it happen quite often where even accounts get suspended because they didn't follow labeling restrictions or the box was uh, 51 pounds and the limits 50 pounds. It's like these, these really small nuances. So we deal with a lot of it. Um, we ideally don't like to see when there's returns because that's usually an issue. Uh, but again, at the end of the day, it's, it's Amazon. So as long as you can correct the mistakes, uh, we, 
we've seen everything under the sun. Yeah, I think at this point. <laughs> yeah, that that's literally my favorite part. Like hearing um, like stories where everything has to go wrong, it went wrong. Like I don't know <laughs> yeah. why, but like it gives me like a sense of satisfaction, like of caution. Like, hey, are you doing this right? Because this is what happened to others. So um, you almost have to get your fingers burnt, right? At the end of the day, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't love the idea of getting my fingers burnt, but I. I think it allows you to, and and if the past two years of Amazon have taught us anything, like you gotta have thick skin to get into the space. Uh, it's not for mm-hmm. the for the kind heart now. It was a little bit easier four or five years ago. I was just speaking to the um, like one of these founders of this huge Amazon company, and like the way that this landscape has changed, and obviously the past two years have made things a lot difficult to source internationally, China. So um, everyone has a plan until you get punched in the face. I think it's like, it's the best scenario. Like you can come in with a perfect plan of how you're going to launch a new product, but you will get punched in the face and it's going to go to the sideways, but just, you need a plan B, a plan C and a plan D because like it's Amazon. If it can happen, it will happen. Well, it's just making sure that you're prepared for it and you don't think that there's a straight line to success. Um, that's usually where people get caught. So just have these fallback plans. So if you are you got to be a little bit more nimble and um, stand your toes. I think that's the best way to recommend it. Those were really good advice, um, Blair. I've personally learned so much. Thank you so much for being here. Before we end today's session, how can people contact you? And uh, you can add any promotional stuff here. So go ahead. Yeah, I, I, so the, the best way to reach out, if you guys are on LinkedIn, uh, I'm really pushing that. I'm trying to get uh, everything locked and loaded for TikTok, so I'm, I'm working on it. Um, but it's Blair Forrest on LinkedIn. I know we'll probably have some sort of link in the seller notes. If you want to guys check us out, amzprep.com. This is the uh, the website, but um, come for me for advice. Like I'm, I'm happy to help out. Uh, a lot of sellers that I speak to, we speak to thousands now, and I just want to give advice. So if there's things that you guys need, uh, feel free to reach out. We have a good pulse and obviously we have a really unique view because we get to work with like the aggregators and the biggest in the in the baddest in this space. And we also work with the small businesses. So we almost have like a, an insider trading approach, which is super cool. Uh, but I'm happy to help out anyone listening. If you guys have questions about product launches, if it is about like SEO and advertising or just talk shop about fulfillment for whoever, in their right mind wants to talk about fulfillment and logistics. <laughs> you should I love be. to talk shops. Yeah. <laughs> they'll, they'll have to at some point. So um, yeah. yeah, feel free to reach out. I'm, I'm super open to talk to and we take a pretty consultative approach. So don't feel that um, it's some sort of pitch. I, I, I want to be able to help you guys. So there's things that you guys have questions on. It's tough to find kind of honest truth sometimes. So um, we'll give it to you. Thank you so much, Blair. And thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Uh, If you haven't already, do not forget to like and subscribe to Seller App's channel. Do not forget to click the bell icon so you're notified each time we post a new video and you're not falling back on all things Amazon because we do have guide videos, Amazon news, webinars. You shouldn't be missing out on all of those things. Thank you so much for tuning in. And until the next time, happy selling.